0: to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you, and enjoy. If you got your Bibles, I want you to go to Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah is just before Matthew, just a few books before Matthew, so that's where we're going to be coming from today. And uh, here's what I want to do. Today's Palm Sunday. Uh, We celebrate and we call it Palm Sunday because on this day approximately 2,000 years ago, Jesus, our Savior, rode into Jerusalem. He rode down the Mount of Olives on a road maybe that some of you will walk with me in about a year, a little over a year. He rode down the Mount of Olives through the Garden of Gethsemane Across the Kidron Valley, up into the Temple Mount. And as he was coming, they were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, son of David, in Matthew chapter 21. Son of David! They were saying of Jesus, This is the king. The king is coming. Amen, somebody? The king is coming. And then it says in the scripture in Matthew chapter 21 that they were saying this Behold, your king is coming. Humble and having salvation is he. He'll be riding on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a donkey. And they were declaring this, and it says in Matthew chapter 21 that they were saying it because they saw that it was the fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah. That triumphal entry, that day about 2,000 years ago, we see it as unique. But what we need to understand today is that that day was predicted about 500 and some change years before Jesus was ever born. That day was predicted. Not only is that day predicted, but the way that Jesus was fulfilling that prophecy out of Zechariah is in a line of tradition going way back. So there was no doubt on that day what everybody was shouting Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's why the Pharisees were saying, Do you hear what they're saying? Tell them to be quiet. Do you remember that? It wasn't because they were loud. It wasn't because they were obnoxious. It wasn't because the song that they were singing was repetitive. It was because they were declaring that Jesus was the Savior of Israel, the Messiah, and the next king. Quiet them down. So we celebrate the Palm Sunday... They waved palm branches. They laid them down. Palm branches in Deuteronomy is a sign of celebration. They waved them. But here's what I want you to see today. Big picture. I want you to see that the understanding of the triumphal entry of the promised Messiah and King is not a new idea. I want you to see out of the text today in Zechariah that Jesus is the promised Messiah of Scripture. That the cross of Jesus Christ is the plan of God to redeem God's people from their sin, and that plan was initiated long before Jesus ever left heaven and came to earth. Are you with me this morning? Man, I'm so excited I could smack somebody. Don't make me come down there. Some of you look like you need it. And, and I want you to understand that Jesus fulfilled all of God's promises in order to show is, is that He alone is the only one that could save people from their sin. I want you to see that. I want you to see that today. So we go to Zechariah in the mid 500s. Okay, let me just fill you in on what's going on in, in Israel's day. The mid 500s, um, Haggai uh, is prophesying uh, after the second wave of Israelites come out of exile back into Jerusalem, and Haggai's saying, We got to rebuild the temple. You've done the wall. The wall's done. Nehemiah and Ezra's day. The wall's done. Now we've got to rebuild the temple. Zechariah is prophesying about the same time Haggai is, and he has, he doesn't, he's not really talking about the temple a whole lot, but what Zechariah is talking about is God is coming to restore his people. And I want you to see that through the scripture and we're going to listen to Zechariah's prophecy, and we're going to learn what Zechariah can teach us about the coming king. Are you tracking? And because of that very heavy, important, ginormous task that we've got before us, I'm going to pray. Let's pray together. Father, we believe like the scriptures teach us, that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. Jesus is not plan B. Jesus was plan A from the beginning. And Jesus is the only one who can save us. Jesus is prophet. Jesus is priest. Jesus is king. And Jesus has come to rule in our hearts, not from a throne in Jerusalem. Jesus is has come to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament... to prove that He is who He says He is. He died proving that He's the Savior and He rose... proving that He's the Messiah and God in the flesh. And today, as we celebrate Palm Sunday... God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, I pray that Psalm 119 would be true of us, that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things in your law. And at the end of today, we would be standing back in awe of how great you are and how amazing your word is, and we would just be basking in the sun. God, We want to fall in love with you like we've never been in love with you before. And that's only something that you can do, so come help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Zechariah, the book begins with Zechariah prophesying, and this is what it says in 1, 3. Zechariah 1, verse 3 says, Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Here's what I want you to understand. One of the big pictures of the book of Zechariah is simply this, that God promises to restore His people if they would turn from their sins into God, if they would return from walking away from Him, and they would begin to walk back to Him, God promises to restore. In the book of Zechariah, God is going to send a king and a priest. And the king and priest is going to restore God's people back to God on His behalf. And I want you to see, I want you to understand this this simple application point that that we see right here in the Scripture, is that if we want to be restored, restoration always comes after repentance. Don't miss that. We often want to be restored before we will repent. And the Bible always says if you want to be restored, it starts with turning. We turn back to the Lord. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8 and 9 says this Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, listen to what Zechariah is prophesying. The Lord is saying through Zechariah Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. Before I go on reading, I need you to understand that that Isaiah talks about the branch. Isaiah chapter 11 speaks of this one who would be the Messiah of the world, and his name would be the branch, and he would spring forth up from the stump of David. He says, I'm bringing a branch. My branch. Verse 9 says... For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. Listen to what God says through Zechariah. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. That is staggering. That should be staggering to every one of us. God's people, Israel, have been struggling with sin for their entire lives. Sin, sacrifice an an animal. Sin, sacrifice an animal. Sin, offer to God what is pleasing, some kind of free will gift to him. Sin and do this. And I struggle with sin. And then God says, through the prophet Zechariah, I will bring the branch And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. How in the world is God going to remove the sin of all of Israel in a single day? We've been struggling it with our whole lives. Have you been struggling with sin your whole life? Have you been at war with sin? And you're just trying to say, how do I get rid of sin? How do I deal with sin in my life? Let me tell you, there's a king coming. And if you trust him, the branch, if you trust in the branch, if you trust the one that God is sending, the one who will restore his people, let me tell you, he can deal with your sin in a single day. king is coming he's not just coming to restore fortunes he's coming to restore what was separated from God because of sin back to the father in a single day some of us need that in here more than anything else we need to be restored to God I want you to look at Zechariah chapter 6 verse 12 we're just going to get an overview. 6 verse 12 says, And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch. Ha ha. For he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne. Who sits and rules on a throne? A what? A king. Someone with royalty. He shall build a temple. Listen to what it says. And there shall be a priest on his throne. I thought he shall bear royal honor. Which is it? A king or a priest? And the answer is yes. Yes. I want you to understand that the one who's coming, the promised Messiah, is not just going to be king. He will be priest. He will not just lead, but He will deal in between sinful man and holy God. See, I don't know if you know this, but a priest interceded on behalf of the people to God. The priest made sacrifice for the sins of the people. The priest offered sacrifices to appease the wrath of God from our sin that we deserve the wrath but the priest would offer a sacrifice that the sacrifice would bear the wrath instead of the people that God could kill the animal and the sin instead of killing the person whom he dearly loved so the animal bore the brunt of God's anger righteous anger his sin that the justice of the law would be poured out on a substitute rather than the offender And he says, and he'll be king. He'll sit on his throne, and he'll rule from there, and he'll be priest. Do you see it? The king is coming. He's coming to restore God's people. He is the branch. And he'll remove the sin of the land in a single day, and he'll do it by being king and priest. He's going to offer a sacrifice on that day. And that sacrifice will deal with people's sin once and for all and forever. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, we heard this just a few minutes ago. It says, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous. I need you to know there's never been a righteous king. Did you know that? Have you ever read the Old Testament? You don't have to read very far to find out no one's good. No one's righteous. Abraham, he's got a chance. Oh, never mind. Noah, he's got a chance. He was a righteous one before God's eyes. Well, he gets off the boat and it goes south from there. Amen, somebody? There's no one righteous. Look at the kings. Oh, Saul, what a great king. Wrong. We see that goes south real fast. David, a king after him. God's own heart. David falls to sin with Bathsheba. He covets and he lusts and he murders. We go, uh oh, but not this king. He's righteous. There's no one righteous except this one. He's having salvation. He has salvation. He comes bringing salvation. Do you see it? Do you see this? I need you to just remember this is 500 years before Jesus is born that the prophet Zechariah is speaking from the heart of the Father, saying, This is what the king's going to come and do. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on the foal of a donkey. He will be righteous. And he will have salvation. He'll be riding on a a baby donkey, a young donkey. Now, there's royal significance, royal significance of donkeys in the Jewish culture. Donkeys are associated with kingship. Horses are associated with what in the Bible? War, warriors, but not donkeys. Donkeys signify a peaceful rule. Genesis chapter 49, when uh, uh, Jacob. Israel is blessing all of his sons. He gets to Judah and he, uh, he says that this will be the, 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 the tribe where all the kings will come from. And he associates donkeys in Genesis chapter 49 with the kingly tribe of Judah. Saul. Saul the king. First king of Israel. How did Saul come to meet Samuel? He was following or looking for some what? His father's donkeys. He was looking for his father's donkeys. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, Ziba brings donkeys for David's family to ride back into Jerusalem on. 2 Samuel 18. Absalom is trying to steal David's throne through a triumphal entry into, oh, excuse me, he's trying to steal David's throne from Solomon and was killed because a donkey ran under low branches and got him stuck. Y'all remember that crazy story? And then Joab pierces him through with three spears. And then just following that, in 1 Kings chapter 1, Solomon is distinguished as the true heir to David's throne through a triumphal entry into Jerusalem on David's own donkey. See, the donkey is significant in the Scripture. And as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, humble having salvation, is He righteous. Riding a young donkey into town. See, Jesus is establishing a new kingdom. And there's a new king. And this king is unlike any king that you've ever seen before. Saul was prideful. Jesus is humble. David was a victorious warrior who slew many men. Jesus was meek and he brought salvation not by slaying many, but by being slain for many. David, he fell to sin and Jesus remained pure. Solomon had a divided heart and Jesus loved the Father perfectly. Jesus is a new kind of king. He's the last and final king. He is the king of kings. And he's entering Jerusalem, bringing with him a new kind of kingdom. How will he do it? How will Jesus be a new kind of king and priest to deal with sin? And how will iniquity be removed in a single day? And how will this new kingdom be established? Thank you for asking. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Does this sound familiar? Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. The lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house Of the Lord to the potter. Zechariah prophesies 500 years before Jesus is even born that the king will be betrayed for the lordly price of 30 shekels of silver. And Judas fulfills that prophecy perfectly. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Don't miss this. Chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. Listen, look with your eyes, look with your heart to what it's about to say. So that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. Who's speaking? The Lord of hosts. Yahweh. Listen to what it says. Number one, that the the king, the Messiah, will be pierced. But secondly, I want you to see who it is that's being pierced. Don't miss this, church family. Don't miss this. It says in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced. Notice that Yahweh reveals that when the Messiah is pierced for sin and salvation, it will be none other than God himself being pierced for the salvation of men and women. There ain't no God like our God. God says, I got a problem with sin. And I want to kill it. But I don't want to destroy the very people that I love? How do I kill what I hate and save what I love? I got it. I'll go. I'll be crucified. I'll be pierced. And they're going to lay on me their sin and they're going to pierce me. I'll bear my own judgment because there's no one who can stand it. I'll do what no one else can do. I will save the world. When they look on Me, the Father says. Whom they have pierced. I thought Jesus was on the cross, not the Father. I, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you so long and still you don't understand that when you see me, you see the Father. God in flesh. Zechariah prophesies that God will be pierced to be salvation for those who trust Him. Now I want you to go one more, one more, one more verse. Chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, this is just a few verses later, on that day, there shall be a fountain opened. For the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. There is a fountain. Do you see it? What's Jesus doing? Why did Jesus get on a donkey? Not because he was tired or lazy but to bring to mind for the people of Israel the words of the prophet Zechariah so that they would see the full picture of the king of glory that would enter into Jerusalem humble and mounted on the foal of a donkey so that the people of Israel could not say we didn't know we didn't have any idea Jesus said, I told you. Have you noticed in the scriptures how all the time Jesus would do a miracle and then he'd say, don't tell anybody? It never never made a sense to me. Why is he telling people not to tell anybody? Seems backwards. You want everybody to know. Here's the thing. They didn't understand fully. Just like you and I struggle to understand the fullness of God. They didn't understand who Jesus was, did they? And Jesus is saying to them, don't tell them a part of the picture. Don't tell them the whole picture. Or don't tell them the wrong picture until I'm ready to tell them the whole picture. What are they saying on the road? Hosanna to the Son of David. You notice something? Jesus never stops them, does he? You got it. That's who I am. So I want to ask three questions. What fountain? On that day, there will be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. There are some people in this room who might need to be cleansed from sin and uncleanness today. Let me tell you how you can be cleansed from sin and uncleanness. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says it this way, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. What? Fountain. It's a fountain of blood. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. It's a fountain of blood. Whose blood? Well, it makes sense if the fountain of blood was the enemies of God, but that's not the truth here. It would make sense if it was people who were slain for their own sin, but that's not the truth here. This blood is the blood of the Messiah, God Himself, One pastor, uh, or writer, Greg Morse, he said, is it like this? He says, we, like all of God's people since, were only spared because Jesus Christ was not. Hear me when I say the law keeper, Jesus, got the punishment that the law breaker deserved. So the law breaker could get the blessing that the law keeper deserved. He kept the law Perfectly and died for law breakers so that we law breakers could get what the perfect law keeper rightly deserved. Do you see it? There's a fountain filled with blood. Jesus was God's substitute. John Stott says it this way, He says the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, but the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. So who needs it? Very simply, the fountain that will cleanse from sin is offered to the one who knows they need it. See, the problem is that many of us have forgotten how much we need it. Or we don't know how much we need it. Some of us, we think, and we don't do it on purpose, I don't think, but we think this way and it's wrong. We think, well, I only need the grace of God on bad days. When I've sinned, oh man, I've messed up, God help me. But the rest of the time, I'm I'm good. We think that we only need it when we come up short a little bit. Like, God, I got $12. My tab is twelve ninety nine. Would you take care of that in the tip? We'll call it even. I've come up short a little bit. I'm just lacking a little bit. I just need your help this much. And some of us, we live our lives like we just need God's help at certain times or this much. We live our lives like, like we don't need God all the time, but the scripture reveals that we are Wicked from the soles of our feet to the tips of the hairs on our head. That we need a savior through and through. The scripture reveals that there's no one righteous, no not one. The scripture reveals that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How much do we do that every day? Scripture reveals that even my righteous deeds are tainted with sin. The scripture reveals that my righteous deeds are like filthy rags before the eyes of a holy perfect God. Scripture reveals that I need a Savior. When? Now. Anytime that it's now, I need a Savior. So as long as it's now, you need a Savior. Is it now now? How about now? Is it now? Now? You need a Savior. And I do too. We need the grace of God at every moment of every day. And unless you understand that you need God's grace fully at every moment, You don't understand that you need God's grace at all. Did you miss that? I'm going to say it again. If you don't understand that you need God's grace fully, every moment of every day, you don't think you need God's grace at all. Because what you think is that if you do better, try harder, work more, read your Bible more, go to church more, then I won't need God's grace as much. And that's not true. Unless you understand that you need it fully, you don't understand that you need it at all. I want you to know that there's a fountain filled with blood and it never runs dry. The reservoir of God's grace is in constant use and it's never been drained a single drop. If I used it every day, all day long, for the rest of my life, it would still be as full at the end of my life as it was at the beginning of my life because the fountain of Jesus' blood is sufficient. It's from age to age. So what, Ryan? What about all this stuff? Here's how it applies to us. Three things. Jesus is priest and king. Priest and king. That means he is Savior and he's Lord. I want you to imagine that you saw me and and you said, hey, why don't you come over to my house tonight? We'd love to have you over. Come over, eat dinner with us. Uh, We'd like the Ryan part of you here, but we don't want the Perry part of you here. I'd look at you like you got two heads. Because I need you to understand that I don't know that I can separate the Ryan part of me and the Perry part of me. Ryan, Perry is who I am. There's no dividing line in me that says, well, I can leave the Perry part at home, but I'll come with the Ryan part. Do you see? In the same way, Jesus is priest and king. He is Savior and Lord. You can't have him as Savior if you're not inviting him in also as Lord. Don't miss that. Lots of people want a Savior. I don't want to go to hell. Trust Him as Savior and surrender as Lord. Well, I don't know about that. And if Listen to me, church. Friend, I, I don't know. If you are not willing to surrender to Jesus as Lord, you've never known what it is to trust Him as Savior. And there are people inside the building called the church that have lived their entire lives wanting a Savior but have never surrendered to the authority of Jesus as Lord and King. And if that's you, I don't know your heart, but if that's you, you need to be saved. And you need to surrender to Him as the Lord. He's king. He's priest. Second point of application is that restoration follows repentance. That means that if you understood today that you are lost, that means today God can restore you back to Himself and He can do it only if you will turn to Him. So don't waste another day. Repent. Last, maybe my favorite, Jesus' triumphal entry in Matthew chapter 21 in the Gospels points forward to another triumphal entry. See, that day in Jerusalem... Jesus came in unassuming and humble on a donkey bringing salvation. But the second triumphal entry, He will come as a victorious king and warrior. And that will be a day that no person will be able to ignore. He will come not bringing salvation, but on that day, He will come bringing judgment. First, He came with a cross. Next, He's coming with a sword. Judgment, my friends, is real. And it is coming. And there is no avoiding it. His first coming crowds were praising Him. In Revelation chapter 6, it says His second coming crowds will be hiding themselves from fear, begging the mountains to fall on us and cover us from the great day of the wrath of God. His first was beautiful, and his second's gonna be terrifying. His first, he came with patience. In his second, there will be mercy and patience no more. Friend, there's an opportunity. You have an opportunity today to trust in Jesus, the perfect Savior and King. Well I'll wait till tomorrow. Friend, there might not be a tomorrow. Are you ready? Are you ready if he were to come back today? You can't miss that there's a second coming. I don't know how. I don't know when. I'm not going to argue about all that stuff. But what I do know is that Jesus said, I'm coming back. And he will. Are you ready? Would you pray with me? Father, the weight of your word, the beauty of your word, is upon us right now. And may we, with an unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, may we see you in your majesty and may we surrender to You as King and trust You as Savior. And I pray, Father, that if there's anybody in this room or on Facebook out there that is struggling with the fact that I've, I've prayed to receive Jesus as Savior but never surrendered to Him as Lord, that they would get saved today. Father, we rejoice that our King has come. Righteous and having salvation is Jesus. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea. Because of the blood of my covenant, I will set your prisoners free. Help us to know what to do right now to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God might be speaking to you today. That you need to meet Jesus as your Savior and surrender to Him as Lord. And if He's doing that in your heart, please don't ignore that. Maybe you just need to find a place on this altar and just rejoice or just confess or return to the Lord. Maybe some of you are like sheep who've gone astray. And it's time to return through Jesus to God. You can do that here. Maybe you need to join our church family here at Seneca Baptist. And if that's the way the Lord is leading you, please, in this time of of response, let us return to the Lord. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song that you heard just a couple minutes ago. there is a fountain filled with blood.